Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So how important will it be for Jameis Winston to cut down on things like, I don't know, jump passes for interceptions in the final five games? The Rays lost catcher Travis Darnot, who signed as a free agent with the Mets. Not to worry, they re-signed Mike Zanino to a one-year $4.5 million contract with an option year. And the Tampa Bay Lightning hosts the St. Louis Blues tonight. What's the latest on Steven Stamkos? Why is John Cooper going with 11 forwards and seven defensemen? What's been the biggest reason for the improvement on the penalty kill? We'll ask Diana Neros, who covers the lighting for the Tampa Bay Times on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with uh, producer Steve Verstig. Before we get to the lightning here in a moment, uh, I was at uh, the Bucks, of course, on Monday as the veterans had the day off. There were some guys in getting treatment and whatnot, and the rookies were there. We had a chance to talk to Coach Bruce Arians. And as usual, uh, Steve, the, the subject went to Jameis Winston uh, you know, he did some really good things in mm-hmm. that game on Sunday against Atlanta, but he did some bad things as well in the same game. And that's sort of been his career, right? Two interceptions in like the first uh, seven or eight plays or so. He throws for over 300 yards, though, for the sixth straight game. He has three touchdown passes, a beautiful throw uh, in the seam, you know, of course, to Chris Godwin. Um, there's only five games remaining, but at this point, you know, do you think the the Bucks kind of know who Jameis is? I mean – more and more now he's got uh, 20 interceptions, right? And I'm starting to sense sort of a kind of a real underlying annoyance by Bruce Arians. Um, you know, not not you know in the past he of course has has pointed out that you know this interception was on this guy and it wasn't Jameis's fault and that sort of thing. Uh, and it's true that you know the first one Mike Evans maybe could have run a better route, but Desmond Trufant just made a nice play. Looked like he recognized the formation and, and really jumped the route. For the first interception, maybe Jameis, you know, uh, you know, sees that there's a guy, sees the color a little better, and sees there's a player in between him and him and uh, and Mike. But uh, he still threw the pass anyway. And then, but then the jump pass to Agumbawale uh, in that situation early in the game, still after you've overcome that first turn, turnover, um, it was just it's just it's that thing that that coaches in in and even Bruce Arians now three quarters of the way through the seasons can't believe but that's who he is Steve I don't think he's going to be dramatically different as a quarterback whether we're talking about his fifth year or his eighth year I kind of think this is who Jameis is well I mean for five years I mean we know what Jameis is the question is is can he fix those situational issues that's what it is and we thought that the quarterback whisperer Bruce Arians could be that answer and that's what the Glazers and and Jason Light were banking on that that a, a coach as, as skilled and as accomplished as Bruce Arians coaching quarterbacks could help you, you don't always eliminate those issues but reduce them significantly. I don't think we've seen mm-hmm. that. Now mm-hmm. saying but that I've seen an in- increase well, overall of, of, of turnovers sure. and, and of interceptions and, in particular. And some of that is I mean, you know, and we've talked about this too in Bruce Arians system you're sending yeah. five guys out. So you're under more duress back there as a quarterback, too. 
which is a different. It's different a new offense, and, mm-hmm. and maybe we can chalk a few up to the not being on the same page with his receivers because of that. But still, he's on pace. Mm-hmm. He's going to throw if he maintains what he normally does these last five games. I mean, he could throw as many as anywhere from five to ten interceptions. You're looking at twenty five. It's been a, not many quarterbacks in this league throw twenty five interceptions, and even fewer of those who do are going to throw twenty five or plus touchdowns which he will do he's on pace to throw like 30 touchdown passes almost 5,000 yards you know I mean that's sort of the number he's going to have huge numbers that he puts up but they're going to be so skewed on the turnover side you know that um, they never really just shut off right he's got five games left but you're right it's all sort of like can you can you get rid of the really stupid it's not even you know quarterbacks throw interceptions you know in this league that 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 happens but you know, you're right. The situational, okay, you're in the first quarter of the game. You're on the road. Um, you don't want the crowd to get into it. Your defense has done a good job of holding them to a field goal on the first drive and then not allowing any points after the first interception. So then why do you give them another one? You know what I mean? Like at that point in the game, you've got four quarters to play, man. You know, you don't need to make that throw. Yeah, and that's the whole purpose. You know, if, if you're in the fourth quarter and you're down two scores, yeah, okay. We you're, get it. You're trying to make a play, yeah. but the first Third quarter, down, sure. you know, a punt is okay. A field goal is punt okay. The ball. Right. You know, just right. Uh, third and long is okay. You know, it, right. it's understanding those. In, the NFL is such a game of mistakes. It is. Uh, you know, the teams are so good. The players are so good on no matter which of the 32 teams. It's That's about right. minimizing those mistakes. And when you do, when you do have a mistake, it, situationally, it's it's ones that don't hurt you. That's right. Um, you know, it's okay to, you know, throw. There's certain situations where, okay, it's third and long, and you threw a deep ball down the field and it got picked off. Okay, mm-hmm. it's like a punt. It didn't hurt you. Mm-hmm. You took a mm-hmm. shot. Okay, no big deal. Um, you know, you, but you don't make that jump pass in the first period and throw it way behind your receiver, and it's your third at, running at back your at own, that. It's not yeah. even one of your best receivers you're throwing that jump pass to. Um, no. It, those are the things that are frustrating. And well, yeah, and, and you give him the ball at the 16 yard line. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. easy touchdown. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, luckily in that Atlanta game, the defense bailed you out, which they haven't done that mm-hmm. a lot this season or the last few seasons, really, for the Buccaneers. Um, right. But in, in the Atlanta game, the, the defense played very well overall and bailed you out on that. But, you know, those are the you're going to have turnovers, although, I mean, the best quarterbacks have very few. But, yeah. you know, I don't think we put Jameis in the elite category. Uh, no, but he no. needs he needs to have less turnovers, particularly in the situations that really burn you. Yeah, it's just become who he is after five years. Uh, the defense we talked about as well with Bruce Arians. I I would say that on the whole, that was their best performance of the season. Um, just the numbers show that, right? Six sacks, sixteen, sixteen passes defense. Um, you know, with those young defensive backs, shows that the the combination of the rush and the coverage working together when you get. A lot of pressure on a quarterback. You know, he has to throw the ball early. Um, you know, the coverage is still pretty tight. Um, but guys like Carlton Davis really stepped up. He had his first career interception finally um, and, and a lot of pass breakups. And you saw Devin White gets better and better. He had two mm-hmm. sacks, uh, you know, blitzing up the middle. And Jamel Dean, who we mentioned, didn't play really any snaps in the previous game, and, and they got burned by that. He he was in there making uh, pass breakups as well. He's already got 13, and he's really only started a game, a game, and played about a game and a half or, or two games. And so that's that's almost as many as Vernon Hargraves had in in four seasons. Um, which which is real puzzling hurt. how he did not play in the New Orleans game. 
It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, they talked about zone coverage and this sort of thing, but I'm sorry, I'm getting my best guys on the field, and he certainly seems to be that, and he's a big physical guy. So, you know, it certainly helped them in Atlanta. So if the defense grows up quickly, uh, I know our friend Tom Jones thinks they're going to run the table, and if you look at the schedule, that's sort of how the NFL is. You feel like, well, you know, Jacksonville, and then you come home and you've got games against the Texans and Indianapolis, and – you still got a road game at Detroit and then a home game to finish up with Atlanta. None of those teams are, are guaranteed to make the playoffs. I know the Colts and Texans are battling for it, but um, that those games are at home. So um, you just got to get on a roll. And and uh, but the quarterback thing, you know, down to five games, everybody's constantly taking the temperature, like where are the Bucks at with this guy. And and the truth is, I don't know that they know. Um, that's usually a decision made by ownership. With the, with the advice of the Bucks and a lot of that might have to do with where they're drafting, which now they would be picking, you know, 11th, and, and I'm guessing that they're going to probably win at least two more games, in my opinion. Um, I couldn't tell you which ones, but I think they'll go at least 6-10, and 10, maybe 7-9 and nine or 8-8. Eight and eight. Who knows? If Tom is right, then it's going to end up being a, a terrific season um, from where they started uh, to, at 9-7. and seven. I, I, It's not likely, but um, but but somewhere between six and eight wins is where they're probably going to fall, um, and that's not enough improvement. Not what not what Bruce Arians was hired to do, but that's sort of what happens when you make the whole thing with Bruce Arians about one player, you know. And and you can't continually, you know, they did it with Dirk Cutter. We'll talk more about this the rest of the week, but you can't keep hiring people for one player. You know, you need to build it the right way, and you need you need to coach the football team. Um, and I think Arians does that to some extent. He has a good staff on defense, and they're trying to – but you got to build the thing the right way. And there's just so much focus on Winston that, as we said at the beginning of the year, it's a referendum on him. And right now, he's not winning, okay? <laughs> the referendum isn't good. It's going down in defeat if you're looking at 20 interceptions. But, you know, the decision will be bigger than that. It'll be about the investment. It'll be about, well, who – who do you replace him with? Where are we picking in the draft? What free agents are available? Those are all pretty high-level discussions that they have to have. So, and, and Jameis still controls that. I mean, he can play better these last five games and maybe maybe leave people with a different a different viewpoint. Well, it'll so. be real interesting. We've t- we talked you know several weeks ago in this podcast, and and when you look back at Bruce Arians' time in Arizona, that first season, mm-hmm. yeah, we've talked about Carson Palmer, how he struggled the first half that season. Yeah, he did. You know, they started three and four. And they finished ten and six, mm-hmm. so they ran seven of the last nine off. If the Bucks, let's say they finish eight and eight, or right. even nine and seven, or even seven and nine, I mean, the mm-hmm. first year changing the offense, changing the scheme, everything about it, and and the whole second half of the season's better than the first. Does that change your opinion of what's happened with Bruce? Aaron's I, this yeah, year? I think and, definitely matters. Yeah. You know, that, that maybe part of it was just getting up to speed. And defensively, I think it's a lot of young players. And if they continue to play like they did against Atlanta um, mm-hmm. or, or show that improvement of being able to, you know, grow, as especially that young secondary. Um, yeah. you know, does that change your opinion of this season? And, you know, finishing, you know, seven and nine or eight and eight, but having a very successful, you know, last seven, eight games, yeah. does that change your assessment of are we better off than we were a year ago? Yeah, no, I think I think it would. You know, they started two and six. I mean, that's how they got off, right? And so, if you finish eight and eight, that means you go six and two in your final eight games. Oh hell yes, sign me up for twenty twenty. I mean, I think that's uh, not just a little bit of improvement. That's completely turning it around, right? Now you had to do it within the own within your own season. You didn't do it from the start of this year, 
but within your own season, that that is a that eclipses what Tony Dungy did, um, you know, back in 1996 when they went five and three the last half and and finished six and ten, and then the next year it did carry over. I'm not a big believer in things carrying over year to year, except something that dramatic, something that dramatic with the upside that a lot of those guys on defense have. Um, and again, you'd have to assume for them to do that, for for them to win um, th- that many games the second half of the season, that Jameis played pretty good football and, and and cut down on some of those turnovers. So, yeah, I think that would be you know I, I I would I would be encouraged if I were a Buck fan, even though eight and eight is not your goal at the start of the season. But um, you know, and then you got to factor in the travel, you got to factor in the schedule, which was not easy. They're not likely to see anything like that maybe in their lifetimes again. Um, so yeah, that would be a, uh, that would be a remarkable turnaround within the same year. So that, that's something to hang their hats on. But, uh, again, Jameis Winston sort of in one game and against Atlanta, you saw the sort of microcosm of his entire career, both, both, uh, uh, just, you know, bad with the football, not protecting it, making ridiculous throws and then coming back and then making incredible throws that helped them win the game and three touchdown passes and over 300 yards again. So that's sort of who he has been his whole life, and that's uh, at least his career in the NFL, and that's that's who he was on Sunday. Meanwhile, the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays they uh, they lose catcher Travis Darno, who was just an incredible find. I mean, if you remember, they were I think he was about their fifth or sixth catcher that they had to sign uh, last year. Yeah, so Zanino and Perez were both hurt. They brought up Shufo right. and Anthony Benboom. Both of them Gosh. got hurt. Um, so they were yeah they were desperate for catchers at that point. And mm-hmm. so they traded with the Dodgers, and I think right, it was for a hundred thousand dollars or something. They got Travis Darno, who the Dodgers had gotten from the Mets earlier in the season. So the Rays basically just in need of uh, of a catcher, someone who can you know squat behind the plate and catch the ball, and hopefully give you a little bit of offense. And then mm-hmm. Travis Darno carried the team for parts of the season. Uh, particularly, there was a a, a swing in uh, was it July or June. Um, yeah. they only won two games. They were playing the Yankees and that, but he had like every RBI in the wins in those games. Um, including that huge game in New York at Yankee stadium. So, um, s- sorry to see him go. Um, he signs a two year, $16 million deal in Atlanta. Um, he has been injury prone in his career. I have to assume that factored into the Rays' decision of, you know, how much money they may want to pay him, um, and for how long of a term they want. So, but the Rays, meanwhile, then re-signed Mike Zanino, everyone's favorite catcher for next season Ugh. four oh. 4.5 million dollars with an option for 2021 yeah i mean he's cheaper i'm sure that darno's you know contract when it's once it got to eight million a year was probably not you know based on what they thought he could do and look he had a career year i mean the things he did at the plate were ridiculous like like the the three-run homer against against rollis chapman but zanino didn't even hit his career numbers which aren't great right as far as an average go he's going to bat about 210 um, but he had more power, you know, he'd hit 20 home runs, um, you know, for Seattle. So, I mean, they, they think he, they can get more out of him offensively. We know he's a good catcher. We know that, you know, and if you look at that pitching staff and, and I thought it was incredible what Darno was able to do coming to right over and handling guys like, like Blake Snell and, um, you know, Charlie Morton and some of the stuff that those guys have. Right. And he was able to handle them, but you need a good catcher back there with, with the pitching staff that this team has, um, so Zanino is is that. I mean, they'll have that, and then we'll see if they get something out of Michael Perez, or um, you know, or if they make a deal somewhere down the line. And you just hope that that you know, last year Darno showed up because every catcher got injured. It was just an incredible 
a run of, of injuries at one position that you, you certainly don't want it at that position, but um, it occurred. So I don't know what else they could have done. There's not, you know, Steve, there's not catchers just out there growing on trees. You know, um, it's a hard position to fill. Zanino's a 202 career hitter, and he hit 165 last season. Is right. he getting to Molina-esque category with the race if he has a bad season this year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you with Molina, I mean, you know, you were hoping the Mendoza line was going to be crossed at some point. Um, to be a career 200 hitter, if that's if that's the ceiling, <laughs> um, you know, he's got to have a career year to get back up to 200. I mean, I, but that's, four, that's 40 points lower even for him, which is significant. You can't just be an automatic out. Uh, and, he, and worse than that, he didn't show the power. You know, if he gives you the occasional home run, then you can live with 200, I suppose, you know, back there. But um, it's a loss on their offense. But then, you know, there are other guys that can pick that up uh, if they stay healthy and they're in the lineup every day. And it's it's early, man. We we don't know what the Rays have in store. You know, they're always finding these guys. And, and you, you know, who who knew Travis Darno would do anything? So mm-hmm. it's hard to hard to lament losing a guy that was a complete complete bonus well, find it's hard to rip eric neander and his staff for the decisions yeah. they make because so often in these off seasons we've ripped these decisions and they've turned out to be the right ones <laughs> yeah they have. um you know that they, they tend to know their players and what they're capable of better than we do they um, sure do you know but this one is you know you would hope to get darno back because you don't think your catching position is that deep um you've got a young catcher you just put on the 40-man roster ronaldo hernandez Played at Charlotte last year in in, in uh, A ball. You hope maybe he gets to the big leagues in twenty twenty one. Maybe, um, maybe not for the full season, but gets a cup of coffee or gets some games up there in twenty twenty one. But he's not going to be ready this season. So, um, it, it's it's I wouldn't say puzzling, but it's you know as a Rays fan, you were kind of hoping that maybe we finally have a good a good cat. I mean, you had Wilson Ramos. Who who was phenomenal that half season until they traded him at the deadline, um, right? But you know, Darno finally gave you another catcher that that could swing the bat and give you some offensive production. Um, and you, I don't know if Rays fans have confidence in Zanino being that guy. No, and in Rays fans, uh, that the outlier is you know is the the catcher that can hit. Not where we were used to the other. So, but like you said, ninety seven wins, and you're not going to sit here and start picking nits. Uh, with Eric Neander and some of the decisions they make, and it's still early in the in the off season. We haven't gotten really to the hot stove league just yet, so we'll see what they have in store. All right, the Lightning are coming off their win over Buffalo, five to two victory there tonight. They host the Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues and have a chance to avenge really one of their lesser performances of the season. And Diana Neros joins us now. Diana, on Monday night, uh, the Lightning. Uh, had an, an extraordinary game, I thought so, especially in the third period. They gave up just uh, just three shots. Um, a pretty pretty dominant uh, effort there, and it looks like the penalty kill has really come around after sort of what had been a rough start. So what's been the difference there? One of the biggest differences, and this sounds like such a cliche, is the confidence. Mm-hmm. It, it really makes a difference when you feel like you can kill a penalty. All of a sudden, you're trusting yourself. You look at uh, Cedric Paquette's shorthanded goal last night, and he sees Sorelli... Uh, Anthony Sorelli alone on the boards with plenty of space. And so he skates ahead to be the guy there for an outlet pass. And it turns into a goal. And like a month ago or so, he might have paused to make sure that was going to clear well. 
and you know, that's not a, this is not a like, oh my gosh, he has great foresight. I can't believe he saw that play develop and kind of play, but it's the kind of play that happens when you just think things are going to work the way they're supposed to versus a month ago, nobody thought things were going to work the way they were supposed to. And basic clears didn't go smoothly because they were not expecting them to they were you know you you kind of when you look for things to go wrong they tend to go wrong when you look for things Mm -hmm. to go right it can go the other way and that's actually working hugely for them there's also obviously better execution on those plays to execute them well but it's also just amazing how many things go well when you give them chances to versus kind of waiting for them not to and the pk turnaround has just been incredible from a absolute liability to one of the team's greatest strengths yeah and you you mentioned uh uh, Paquette and you know that might be a good opportunity to talk about that fourth line um in in addition to the penalty kill but that fourth line with Patrick Maroon and Yanni when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Gord, um, how good has that been of late? That line, uh, that line really found its legs in Sweden and just has not let up since. They are often the best line on the ice and not like the best line because they're playing much so much better on the first line. But when you look at what each line is supposed to do of doing its job, they're doing their job the best. Mm-hmm. Um, they are setting up the next line that comes on the ice because they're getting possession of the puck, they're keeping possession of the puck. So then that next line, usually the top line, comes on the ice with possession. They're not chasing down the puck to start a play. They're in that position already. Uh, That fourth line has drawn some penalties. They've hemmed teams into their zone, so they're wearing uh, opponents down. They're also scoring. That's, you know, the obvious part from the score sheet. But it's the things that they're doing away from that that really make their play stand out. This isn't, you know, oh, they they have one good play a game where Gord tips a shot in or, you know, Maroon is contributing, you know, that one goal. It, it's consistent throughout the game, which is then giving them the opportunities for those goals. And this is coming at a good time. I mean, anytime you're, you're down one of your star players, uh, it's important for everybody to pick it up, right? But Steven Stamkos has missed the last two games. So what's sort of the latest on on his health concerns right now? Uh, We're a little vague, but uh, John Cooper said he hopes Stamkos will be back for a game or two out of the four games this week. Um, He stressed that that was a hope more than an expect, but he he tends to be careful about what he says he hopes for, and they, they tend to be pretty on point barring something you know setting him back or something else uh it was it was interesting because Stamkos got hurt but didn't leave the bench in that Chicago game he made a point he wanted to stay on the bench uh Mm -hmm. for the rest of the game which you very rarely see a player do um he 
posted up at one door on one side for the second period and the other door on the other side of the bench for the third period and (laughs) basically played doorman for two periods of that game. But he he wanted to be on the bench, um, which not a bad thing to hear from your captain. Um, But yeah, they'd rather him be on the bench playing. So they're hoping that that'll happen by the end of this week. This may or may not be related, but the last three games, John Cooper has dressed uh, the 11 forwards and seven defensemen. So um, get into sort of why he would do that and, and what the results of that have been for the team. It's a little bit related, not necessarily to the Stamkos injury, but it started with the Kucherov injury when Nikita Kucherov wasn't playing in that Chicago game. Um, so they were always down a star while playing 11-7. Uh, Cooper likes that it gives you a chance to um, for some different matchups and managing some minutes differently. Um, it keeps the the lines and D pairs end up shifting up a lot throughout a game because you're doing it that way because it doesn't work out evenly by lines of three and pairs of two. Um, but that kind of creates some opportunities matchup wise against the other team. Um, and he likes that, you know, they have eight defensemen, and they're getting different defensemen in the lineup by playing with seven defensemen. Um, so those are both factors, and he just likes what it does. Cooper has a history of playing 11-7. We haven't seen it in the past few years, but when he first came up into the league and when he was in the AHL, he did this a fair amount because it just gives you a different kind of flexibility of what you're doing with your lineup. And so... Uh, it's not something we see a ton of, but it's also not unheard of within the league. Um, and he just likes the flexibility that he he gets from this lineup. With will be interesting to see once Stamkos comes back. Do they like the more set lines um, that they were playing with before? That also allows allows them to uh, manage some minutes too. Is right? Yes, definitely. It uh, everyone kind of ends up with different minutes. You know, even though you're down to 11 forwards, you can end up with fewer minutes for your top forwards, which sounds backwards because you have fewer players, but you end up spreading it out a little more evenly, um, usually. So it might take a minute or two away from your top guys, but also kind of Cooper thinks that can be a good thing sometimes. You know, there's there's a lot of... uh, focus on ice time on in some ways that maybe it's okay for guys to kind of maybe you can uh, manage a load like the NBA does by main changing up minutes sure. rather than changing up total game performance or games played excuse me um is kind of the approach on that absolutely um you know they've had a lot of uh, a good performance uh, one guy that stood out um, and, and he's sort of this grinding role player, I guess, in some respects. But Alex Kalorn uh, has been really good this year. He's mentioned the penalty kill, which has been uh, exceptional of late. Uh, he's, he's making you know plays in that. Is this sort of the role you think he excels at uh, the best? Yeah, I think Kalorn's strength is his consistency. And for mm-hmm. a team that was still finding its consistency, uh, a consistent player can go a long way. Um, yeah. He is very good on the kill, um, and he's been playing on the power play more in a, a strong role there. Lightning fans have been watching and waiting for Kalorn to reach 20 goals, and he has not done it in his career yet. And right now he's on pace for it. But it's just part of it's in that he's being used in some different ways. 
And part of that goes with how Anthony Sorelli is being used because the two of them have been um, kind of stuck together uh, in a good way, not in a bad way of they have really good chemistry. So they play on lines together and in the same situations together. And they're both strong, reliable defensive forwards who also have an offensive upside, but they often get used in those defensive situations because they are so strong on that side of the puck. So you're seeing it kind of from both of them as they move together into these other opportunities. Um, and uh, definitely you're seeing from Kalorn the different ways he can play and just his, his overall consistency is, um, is one of the really impressive things about him. You know, Andre Palat looks a little different this year. Eight goals already, so what has changed about him on the offensive side? Palat came into camp just in great shape from the very start of camp. Players, coaches alike, you know, commented on how good he looked. He's stronger and he's faster. And that's one thing that uh, the Lightning told him at exit interviews last year is they wanted to see him pick up a step, and he's done so. And he really... He committed to his offseason in a way that you saw the results right away in the in training camp and then through the season. He's another one who has a good defensive side, and he often plays top-line minutes with Stamkos, who does not play defensive situations. But then you see him on the penalty kill, in, and then you end up with plays like last night, which is what you see from a strong defensive player with good offensive upside who can get on the penalty kill, kill efficiently, and then end up with a very nice goal. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that, hey, every team would like to have players who can do both of those things. So you're definitely seeing um, he's he's increased his strength and his skating, and it's just, it's reflected in everything he's doing so far this year. You mentioned that shorthanded goal a couple times. Is it me or is Anthony Sorelli just becoming, going to become a superstar? Nope, not you. Uh, yeah, he is. He's one of those players that we kind of keep coming back to. And again, he's been playing in a lot of these defensive roles. So mm-hmm. we kind of forget about his offensive capabilities sometimes. And if he weren't the team's go to defensive forward, he would be could right. be playing in you know all sorts of offensive situations where he'd be scoring at least 25 goals. Um, whereas before this, he barely got power play time because he's such an efficient penalty killer you know so that's kind of uh, affects how we see how we the perspective we have on him but he's just such a good player um in so many ways and he's so responsible with the puck and um there's just so much upside for a very young player who's you know only in the last year of his entry-level contract now so uh we've got we've got a lot of good years of anthony sorelli ahead of us yeah, he's going to be a, a terrific player, already is for the Lightning. I, I know when we went to uh, talk to you in Sweden, of course, uh, a lot of attention was on Victor Hedman going back to his home country. He managed to play over there despite sort of being beat up uh, going into that trip. How's his health, and how, how, when you watch him play, do you feel like he's getting getting his legs back now? Yeah, I think so. I think that was kind of a, he said, a combination of a, something he had uh, a lingering injury he had aggravated and something that had come up in a game. So I think it was a matter of kind of getting, letting that heal. And then he's looked good this year. Um, The 
thing about Hedman is he's not <laughs> my uh, repeating theme here is the situations players are playing in. Um, he's not being asked to do everything the way he was before the team added Ryan McDonough. And that began to change last year. And you're seeing it this year. Also, um, he is very good on the power play quarterbacking that power play. Um, you know, we right. talk about Sam Coase's shot, but Hedman is the one who quarterbacks that power play and really makes a big difference on that unit. And uh, that's, that's no different this year for sure. Uh, the, one of the things they, they've finally kind of figured out what they're doing with their D pairs, except for that. Now they're playing 11 seven. Um, but Hedman's been playing with Shattenkirk a little more consistently and that gives them a chance to create chemistry. Whereas, Edmund's pair uh, partner was changing almost every night for a while there. So you, you get you get a little more consistency, you get a little more chemistry, you get a little more confidence. All those things kind of come together at once. I think they're coming together when I watch them play. Uh, your friend and mine, Tom Jones, a former columnist uh, of the Tampa Bay Times, uh, was on uh, yesterday, and he was telling us that he still believes, and this is you know just a guy that covered hockey and watches it a lot that in the beginning at least of the season, that there was still a little bit of a hangover from the Stanley Cup playoffs. Can that can that occur from one season to the next, or um, are they so programmed that they know every year is different that there really is not a carryover one way or the other? There is a carryover, and in some ways it's a subconscious carryover. Um, last season was epic in the start and epic in the finish. They just were epically good and then epically bad. That definitely has an effect it gets stuck in your head and they may have tried too hard to disprove that that's the team they were the team that collapsed in the playoffs and right. it, it kind of backfired you saw them come out and uh be the freewheeling high skill we can just skill ourselves through games lightning in times and that didn't work and then they might have overcompensated a little bit trying to address right. the defensive responsibility that they needed to and not so much over focused on defense but just kind of focused so hard that it disrupted other elements of their game so it, it is there's there's a little bit of finding the right ground um finding the medium between you know they are and are always going to be a skilled team uh, and they also can be responsible um, responsible defensively and so i think i think it was a little bit of a hangover kind of stuck in their the back of their heads that you know we can't be that team and what's the right way to not be that team that collapsed and that laughing stock of the league you know it, it's it's a real thing, and I think we're starting to kind of see them come out of that, and I think um, I'm still not panicking. I'm going to re keep repeating that refrain for a while, but, you know, they're, they're on the other side. I'm not panicking, and I'm not quite saying, you know, oh, everything's back. They're great. They're going to go win the cup. You know, there, there are some things to keep figuring out, but right now I think they're on the right track. Yeah, there's definitely a balance that they have to strike there. Um, and we've talked about this with professional athletes, in particular hockey players. They are creatures of routine. Um, all the travel, the trip to Sweden, the days off is not something necessarily that, that lends itself to consistency. So uh, they're at the beginning of this 14 out of 18 games at home. 
this has to be just just from a, a you know waking up in your bed every day to playing every other night has to be a good thing for a hockey team, right? Yeah, definitely. It's funny. On a normal season, we would point to the stretch and be like, okay, this is going to be a tough month with a lot of games. But right now, they're looking at it and saying, ooh, routine, flow, finally. (laughs) Uh, You know, they've had such a weird season where they've had stretches of a bunch of games and then they've had none. And Mm -hmm. so the idea that they're going to be playing just about every other night is a chance to finally kind of get into the flow of the season. This is what most teams do in October. And They've just had a weird schedule where they're going to do it in December, but they're going to be at home a lot. They're going to play a lot. And that's a chance to get into the flow of the season. It's also going to be a chance for them to climb up the standings. They are lower in the standings than they actually are playing because they have fewer games than everyone else. So they're going to get some chances to even out that games played. Their points percentage right now puts them at a very different position than their actual points. So if they can Mm -hmm. even that out a little bit, all of a sudden they could be sitting at a respectable playoff spot and it no longer seems as why are the lightning off to a bad start? You know, if you, this, this, this gives them a chance to get into routine and a chance to kind of get back to where make their standing spot reflect how they're playing. Right. And last week when we talked to you, they had that uh, sort of mini road trip uh, that began in St. Louis. They went and, and beat Chicago after that. But the game against the St. Louis Blues, who, let's face it, they got plenty of pedigree as the Stanley Cup champs, was not their best. And that might be an understatement. Was that more about what St. Louis did right or maybe what the Lightning did wrong? A little bit of both. The Lightning still have a tendency to throw up a stinker. And it doesn't have to be an all-around. That was not like an all-around awful game. They have played worse games this year. But it was not a good game. And they still have a little bit of that bad showing that comes up every once in a while. That they they need to eliminate that um, as they go forward. But it's also that St. Louis has a good system. They play a simple game where they just kind of force you to make mistakes and the Lightning fed into it. And the thing is, St. Louis is a very good team, and those are the teams the Lightning wants to be competing with. And so they have beaten and played with other very good teams, but to be consistently good against the good teams um, is one of the pieces that they are still putting together and why it'll be interesting to see uh, how they come out with another shot against that St. Louis team so quickly after a bad showing. Um, with this game here tonight, it will be interesting to see uh, if they can. They haven't beaten St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis was one of the one of three teams to beat them twice last year, so uh, I don't think they want that to uh, repeat itself with another loss to the Blues here tonight. So it'll be interesting to see how this game goes. You know, the hockey season is a long one. I don't need to tell you that, especially if you get into the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs, but. Um, for hockey players, uh, you know, when you're going back to the bottom of the mountain, we talked about, you know, last year, if they get to the holidays, it's Thanksgiving week, um, you know, Christmas is, is around the corner. Is that, are there sort of some milestones that, that mentally you look at and go, okay, now, now we're in a stretch run here. I think, um, the, the Christmas break provides that more than Thanksgiving just because Thanksgiving doesn't really do anything in the schedule. Whereas there is an actual Christmas break in hockey. So yeah, teams Mm -hmm. kind of look at that as um, something of a milestone. We just passed the quarter mark with the Monday night's game. 
Um, mm-hmm. So there's something to that. Um, but I think the, the Christmas break and then the all-star break and then the trade deadline, which are all about a month apart from each other, kind of mm. break up the middle of the season with some milestones there. Um, and so that, those become kind of check-in marks of how are we doing, what are we doing, um, that kind of just naturally occur within how the season uh, falls. Sure, and they got lots of games to make up. All right, once again, the, the Lightning will host the St. Louis Blues tonight. Stanley Cup champions are in town. It's going to be a good one at Amelie Arena, and you can read all about it in the Tampa Bay Times and on tampabay.com from the very best who covers the Lightning, Diana Neros. Thanks, Diana. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, I could be wrong. I think the Lightning are about to go on a really big run. We'll see see if I'm right. This this homestand here, I think, is going to going to be what they need. Um, big week in college football. We're going to talk to Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times as uh, we're getting you guys uh, ready for that on Thanksgiving. You can uh, get your turkey ready, listen to the podcast, get it's ready hard for to believe Thanksgiving's week. already here. I know. That's always the case for me. You know, the season starts, and before I know it, it's the it's the beginning of the holidays, and then they're over. And then we're in January, then it's New Year's, and it's like, boom, the season's over. Like, I really... remember Y2K. It wasn't that long ago. Now we're at 2020. <laughs> I know. Like, I know. Wow. I met my wife on y- Y2K, as a matter of really? fact. Really? Uh, they're about to see yeah. Wow. Yeah. Didn't know she was going to be my wife at that time. Just met her. But, yeah, well. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so it's been 20 years. It's amazing how fast time flies. But uh, big rivalry weekend. Florida, Florida State, USF, UCF, Alabama, Auburn, Wisconsin's at Minnesota. That's a big one in my house. Ohio State, Michigan, that's the one I want to see. That's going to be a, a good one, I think. So lots to talk about with Matt Baker uh, tomorrow. And, of course, we'll always be getting you ready for the Bucks at Jacksonville as they try to make it two in a row and see if they can go on that second half run that Tom Jones has promised. As always, we're here every day, Monday through Friday. Hope you guys have a terrific Terrific Thanksgiving um, as we will uh, be back tomorrow with Matt Baker. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.